hypocrites. They love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners so that people will see them. I assure you, that's the only reward they'll get. But when you pray, go to your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is present in that secret place. Secret place. Your Father who sees what you do in secret will reward you. When you pray, Don't pour out a flood of empty words as the Gentiles do. They think that by saying many words, they'll be heard. Don't be like that, because your Father knows what you need before you ask. Pray like this. Our Father, who is in heaven, uphold the holiness of your name. Bring in your kingdom so that your will is done on earth as it's done in heaven. Give us the bread we need for today. Forgive us for the ways we have wronged you, just as we also forgive those who have wronged us. And don't lead us into temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. If you forgive others their sins, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your sins. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we often don't know what to pray for or what to pray about or how to pray. There's a lot we don't know. And so we simply ask that today, this morning, this afternoon, you would teach us. We ask humbly in Jesus' name, amen. That version of the text of emphasis was coming from the contemporary English Bible, so if it sounded a little bit different, the Lord's Prayer, that's why. And obviously today we're going to speak on that passage. But as we jump into that, there's a story that you may know very well. And it was a Disney film, it's called Aladdin. And the story of Aladdin goes something like this. There's this magical lamp. And if you access this magical lamp, that there is a powerful spiritual being who grants you any three wishes that you would like. Of course, there are a few stipulations. But any three things that you want, of course, this is the Western version of what a genie is, but any three wishes. No questions asked. There's no friendship that needs to occur. Ask whatever your heart desires, and you can walk away. You can do that three times. And in a very real sense, the concept caters to a very selfish reality of human beings. Now, if you've seen the the film Aladdin, you'll know that uh, there is an evil guy, his name's Jafar, and there's uh, this kid Aladdin, and he convinces this poor broke kid Aladdin to go into this cave of treasures and bring out this magical lamp, which evil Jafar wants to use so that he can become the strongest, most powerful sorcerer in the world. 
And long story short, Aladdin goes in, gets greedy, and tries to steal a couple other treasures, and so gets locked in the cave, cave ends up having to use one of the wishes uh, from the lamp to escape, and then the story goes on. The sorcerer doesn't win in the end, etc. Aladdin uses his three wishes, the genie is set free, etc., etc. That's the story, in case you were wondering, if you've never seen it. But that's not what we're talking about today. What we are talking about is this concept, this transactional concept, that you could ask for whatever you want for your own gratification, sometimes, and for many, at the expense of other people, and receive it. And I fear that often we may approach prayer in this way. We treat our prayer, our prayer life, like it's a transaction. I ask for this, you grant me this. And this concept is not new. This is the underlying idea with a number of uh, idolatrous gods of ancient times. I do this, God does that. But the thing with free will beings is that it works a little bit different. God has created us a bit different. With God, I ask for this, and he chooses how he will respond. When God asks for something of me, I choose how I will respond because you don't operate by transactions with beings whose primary existence is founded on a deep relational experience. It's a relationship, not a transaction. So we get to Matthew chapter 6, where we found our text of emphasis, and Jesus is expounding kingdom principles on the concept of prayer, and many other things, because this is right in the middle of the discourse of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus gives a template of how to pray. Now, it's just a template, it isn't the only way, but the ideas that we should understand as we come before God in prayer are here in this passage. And so this is Jesus's first public discourse. And what I mean by that is that this is the first time that Jesus is getting up and speaking to a mass public audience since stepping into his ministry at age 30. So these people are hearing, in a sense, the first message from heaven. What does Jesus say? What does he say? So he goes up on this mountain and he sits down and his disciples come close to him and he tells them how to pray and a number of other things, but he also repeats that in Luke chapter 11 because they need more details because the disciples learn a little bit slow like me. And he's sharing with the disciples, he's sharing with a multitude of people on the base of the mountain, and he begins undoing the teachings of the religious leaders of the time. He begins teaching kingdom principles or the gospel of the kingdom. 
And so he starts, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What? They were waiting for this big, powerful message about how he was going to come and conquer the Romans and this and that. He's like, no, 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 blessed are the humble. (laughs) Because at that time, and even still in this time for many, religion was all outward show and no inward reform. Religious forms added to your identity as someone who knows God. The outward show of religion was the standard instead of the state of the heart being the standard. And so in verse 5 and 6 it says, And whenever you pray, of Matthew chapter 6, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues. He's speaking of the religious leaders of this time. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners so that they may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But whenever you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. The first thing we should consider or understand as we come before God in prayer is to evaluate our motives. Evaluate your motive for prayer. Are you trying to communicate with God? Or are you trying to communicate with people? You trying to tell them something subtly? I remember when I was little, I used to pray over my food in public, not because I thought that was right, but because I wanted everyone to think I was a good Christian girl. So I'd make sure to say my prayer, but I'd look left and right first. And I feel like we still do that today. You're like, man, should I pray in public? Who are you? Why are you evaluating your motives? Are you really trying to communicate with God? Or are you trying to communicate with everybody else? And then it says, they have received their reward. The reward for public recognition is just that, public recognition. So when you pray to be seen of other people, that's your reward. Other people saw you, good job. That's where it ends. Public earthly recognition doesn't translate well in heaven. It doesn't get you any credit, no merit. It ends here as an earthly experience. So are you really seeking God or are you trying to maintain an image of yourself? So when you pray, ask your heavenly father to help you have pure motives. Verse seven and eight. When you're praying, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Here's something to understand as you come before God in prayer. Let go of meaningless form. 
God already knows what you need. You don't need a billion words to articulate things that God already knows. There are many ways to talk to God. Let me, I think back to my childhood days of going to church and I'd be like, who's praying today? (laughs) Because if elder so-and-so is praying, my knees are going to be hurting today. Prayer. Minutes and minutes and minutes, this man is still praying. You get enough knees shaking. Why? 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 Is that necessary? They say that the longer someone has to pray in public, they miss the private prayer in their own time. Your prayer doesn't have to be long. He would start, oh, God of the limitless sky and sea. You're like, oh, man. (laughs) Here we go. (laughs) Buckle in. Not necessary. Not necessary, okay? There are many ways to talk to God. Some say this form. Some say that form. But because prayer is relational, It is less about form and more about the space of the heart. Some people have never, you know, experienced prayer or heard someone pray, but they have pleas of their heart that need to get out. How do they express that? God hears those. God hears those. He hears them. When you approach God, let go of meaningless form and empty words. Don't let your feeling of inadequacy when it comes to prayer keep you from praying. Just talk. Just go for it. Verse 9. Pray then in this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. I like the way that the contemporary English Bible renders it. It says, Our Father in heaven, uphold your name. Uphold your holy name. When you come to God in prayer, be specific about who you're praying to. For those who who know, I'm speaking to believers here. Be specific. There's only one God, the Father of lights. Not the universe, not the stars, not the cosmos or the air. Chance is not God. Our Father, a term used for human understanding to indicate a relational being who is a provider and refuge for his children, we're speaking to our Father, our our parent in a sense. Now, Jesus says, pray, our Father. Jesus is including us in his family. Jesus is, he says, I am not ashamed to call them brethren and sistren, right? We are a part of the family of God. So you're, you're coming to family when you pray. You're coming to family. And I understand that everyone's relationship with their parents is, is different, right? So we can't quite compare God to our earthly parents, Right? Everyone's experience is different and not all positive. But think of all the good you assume of parents or guides or guardians. 
right? God is that and more. That's who you're coming to in prayer. And he loves you. Uphold the holiness of your name, it says. Now, this is important because God is always holy. What does that mean? Human beings don't make God holy. God is holy because that is who he is. Now, what is holy? What does it mean? What I mean, holy. Holy, you can define it as different or distinct from all that is common. Okay? Set apart. He is to be admired or revered or respected above all other things that we would deem to be God's. The creator of the universe is set apart. He's distinct. He's not common. He's distinguished from any other power in the universe. That's who you're coming to in prayer. Yet he makes himself small and available for us dust people. This God causes people to be holy, to be like him. Be ye holy for I am holy, set apart, distinguished. However, regardless of whether his people live up to being different or being holy for the cause of good or not, God always remains holy. What ends up happening is that our lack of being like God and yet our claim to represent him causes others who don't know God to get the wrong impression of who he is. And I think this month that happens a lot. They get a blaring misrepresentation of who God is because of what we do. So he has to uphold the holiness of his own name and he makes himself known to individuals in a way that they comprehend to redeem his own name because his people messed it up. When I was coming up, I know one problem that I had with church and with church folk early on was they were hypocrites. They were fake. Inconsistent. And I realized later, it wasn't God that I had a problem with. It was people. It was people. They were a blaring misrepresentation of God. And in fact, scripture has recorded that human beings have failed 100% of the time <laughs> at being holy or set apart. Every single time, failed. Why? Because you can't be like God without God, and we keep trying to do that. We keep trying. Verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When you come before God in prayer, be willing to fulfill the will of God in the here and now as it's fulfilled in the kingdom of heaven. When God speaks, the angels enjoy, they desire to do the bidding of God. Because they know that doing the bidding of God is the highest purpose they will ever do. 
they will ever fulfill. And the same here. What is God's will and purpose for you in this world in this time? Would you be willing to set aside your personal plans, your personal goals, to agree with what you think God is calling you to do? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then Jesus, in, in the narrative of Scripture, in the Gospels, he talks to the disciples and he's like, look, the kingdom of, the kingdom of heaven has come upon you. It's here. It's come unto you. Live your life here on earth understanding that God is the one who you've allowed to guide your way. His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Things would look a lot different. Things would look a lot different. And you know what? Sometimes we do good things that God didn't ask us to do. Like, there are a lot of good things that could be done in this world, but maybe that's not a job for Michelle to do. God didn't call me to live a life like Mother Teresa. He called me to something else. That's also fulfilling the will and purpose of God, not just doing good things, doing what God asked you to do, to fulfill his purpose. So how does operating according to God's will impact how you see the world, how you engage with other people? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. Understand who is the true supplier of your basic needs. You know, it's easy to, to think that because you go out and work and you get a paycheck and you provide, you go grocery shopping and do all of these things, that you provide for your means. And in a sense, that's true. You don't work, you don't eat. <laughs> but ultimately, in the scope of reality, God is the source of all things and allows you the capability to go out and get what you need to thrive. The world wouldn't function without God as its source. We pray not simply because we have basic needs. We pray because we need God for everything. All that we have comes from God in some roundabout way. You know, God uses the imagery of, of bread throughout Scripture. We have the manna in the Old Testament. We have Jesus, I am the bread of life, right? To indicate a physical and spiritual reality. To communicate to us that bread is something that he provides, physical sustenance, but he also is the one to provide spiritual sustenance. He is the source. And so he says, pray, ask God, give us our daily bread. Give us our daily bread. And you know, it's okay, some people might think this is presumptuous. It's okay to come to prayer with the expectation that God is willing to supply us with our basic needs, right? Because we're coming to our Father, right? 
we're coming to someone who cares, someone who wants you to prosper, someone who wants to bless you. He's like waiting, right? Come, God is willing to supply your basic needs. Go and ask him. Go and do it. Verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Be willing to give to others what you have received from God. What have you received from God? Hope? Joy? Forgiveness? Compassion? Patience? What have you received from God? Blessings? Life? Connections? A job? What have you received from God? Be willing to give that to someone else. God gives us so much, and a lot of times we give back so little. Don't keep the blessings to yourself. Share them. Allow the blessings that God has given you to bless another. I remember I have a, <laughs> I don't know why I remember this story. It's probably because it's about fruit snacks, but <laughs> I, was, uh, I was about six years old and uh, there's this kid in my class. I'm not going to say his name because maybe one day he'll stumble upon Advent Hope Media and <laughs> see the sermon and find his name. Anyway, and this kid would never share his lunch, ever. But on that day, Nathan had fruit snacks. I, I have a little weak spot for fruit snacks. It's not a little spot, it's a big weak spot. <laughs> and so I'm sitting next to Nathan, and Nathan, also something to know, never finishes his lunch. I was raised, finished the whole plate, so Nathan never finishes lunch, throw away his lunch. All right, no problem. Nathan had fruit snacks that day. I'm sitting next to Nathan. Nathan doesn't finish his lunch. Full bag of fruit snacks right there. So I said, uh, hey, Nathan, um, can I have your fruit snacks? Are you going to eat those? No, I'm not going to eat them. You can't have them, though. And you know what Nathan did? He got up, took his lunch, and dumped it in the trash. <laughs> That's why I remember that. <laughs> I'm still hurting to this day. <laughs> oh, man. Nathan didn't share his fruit snacks. He took what was a blessing to him, used what he wanted, and then threw away the rest. We use the blessings that God has given us, and when we're selfish, we discard of them and don't think about anybody else or how it could bless someone else. When I'm done with this resource, or when I'm done with this phase or space of my life, or when I've used this knowledge and benefited from it, 
how can I help somebody else? How can I share the resources or whatever it is that God has given me to be a blessing to someone else? And instead, we squander it or keep it selfishly to ourselves. Let all of the little children come. No. <laughs> so when we pray, come with this understanding of prayer to God. Give what you have received. Give what you have received. Verse 13. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. Be willing to allow God to direct your life path and trust in his protection. Now, some people might get a little confused with this verse. Let me give you a couple of verses to balance it out. God is not tempting you to do the wrong things. God, James 1.13 says, God tempts no individual with evil. John chapter 1 verse 1 says, God, there is no darkness in him at all. Evil temptations come because of the selfishness in our hearts. We're attracted to things that gratify us. The book of James says we're drawn away of our own lusts. And of course, Satan, we have an enemy, rightly called the tempter in scripture. God allows us to experience obstacles, hardships, persecution. We call them the trials of our faith. Do they feel good? No, of course not. <laughs> Do they come to everyone? Yes. These are opportunities for growth in our journey with God. They're the continual lessons of how to trust God. James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4 says, Beloved, consider it all joy. Consider it all joy when you fall into diverse trials, knowing that the trying of your faith produces patience. And then, Scripture says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, no testing or no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to everyone. We're all experiencing something. But God is faithful, and he will not let you to be tested beyond your strength, but with the testing or with the temptation or with the trial, he will provide the way out so that you may be able to endure it saying that God doesn't put something in front of you that he doesn't give you power to overcome. And so it says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Evil is all around us. And evil is also within us. Deliver us from ourselves. There is an internal deliverance and an internal work that must continually happen by the grace of God. That's the work of the Spirit. To continually prune, to continue to refine. One of my favorite verses, Proverbs chapter 17, verse 3. It says, the refining pot is for silver 
and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the hearts. If you want a pure uh, uh, element, a pure metal, it says the refining pot, pot is for silver. So they use a refining pot to pull out all of the dross, all of the unwanted materials in that metal to get a pure silver. Same thing with gold. You stick it in a furnace and you burn it and you burn all the impurities out until you get pure gold. And the heart of man, the heart of human beings, the Lord tests. That is how you purify the heart of a human being, the Lord. When you pray, be willing to allow God to direct your path and trust in his protection. A well-known verse that you may know, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Amen? And so Jesus comes to a close with this prayer, and then he caps on the end of it these two verses here, 14 and 15, saying, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Experiencing the gospel of Jesus Christ, the forgiveness and mercy of God should stir us to forgive one another. Did you hear that? What we experience from God, the gospel, we should be willing to give to another. That forgiveness that we experience, that cleansing, give to another. Matthew chapter 18. Let me read you a story. That was such a post-COVID move. I like licked my finger. I mean, pre-COVID. <laughs> Sorry, I'll, I'll sanitize. Okay, Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you 77 times or 70 times seven, unlimited, honestly. Let's re continue reading. Verse 23, for this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And as he could not pay, his Lord ordered him to be sold together with his wife and children and all his possessions and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees before him saying, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the Lord of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But that same servant, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him by the throat, he said, pay what you owe. Then his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. But he refused. 
Then he went and threw him into prison until he would pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. When his Lord summoned him, uh, then his Lord summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had ha- have had mercy on you? And in anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. So my heavenly father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. A little violent, that ending there, but there's context. It's a parable. There's no way for humanity to pay off the debt of sin in the world and no way for individuals to pay off the debt of sin in our own lives. There's just no way. There's no way to live up to God's standard of goodness from our own work, our own behavior, our own efforts. We can't give God what he wants. We can't. God knows that. So he offers mercy, he offers compassion, he offers his son. He excuses the debt and pays it himself with his life. Because that's the kind of debt that we're in. One that requires blood. One that requires life. And a life sufficient to cover all of humanity. The gospel is an all-inclusive concept, meaning including everyone. It impacts everyone. Forgiveness from God comes to you or comes to me, and then I am to then extend that same forgiveness to my neighbor. And then God willing, that neighbor then extends that forgiveness that they experienced to another neighbor. And maybe they even begin to inquire, how is this possible? How were you able to forgive me when I've wronged you so deeply? And then you tell them the source is God. Because it's supernatural. One who is forgiven much, Scripture says, loves much. And it's usually these people who share what they've been given from God. Now, this is all easy to say, to get up here and talk about forgiveness. But it's not easy. I wake up mad at somebody every day. (laughs) I got a list. And I'm like, Lord, help me. Help me. Melt the ice in my heart. Because I know what you've done for me. Help me to give that same relief to somebody else. Easier said than done, but not impossible. But not impossible. When we pray, approach God with a spirit of forgiveness. 
Be ready to receive it and be ready to give it. In short, pray like you're building a relationship, not like you're making a transaction. Okay. You're having a conversation. You're talking about the deep things of your life. It's an exchange of heart for heart. God is not a genie. God is a heavenly father. Everything and so much more than any earthly father could be. Now, what does this look like in real time, right? Every day praying. Because I know there may be many of us who struggle with that. I'm, I wake up in the morning and I blink real hard and then I turn and go back to sleep. <laughs> on and on and on it goes. Turn the alarm off, get up. Say a couple words of prayer, fall asleep mid-prayer, get up again, try again, get down on my knees to pray, get distracted, thinking about this, thinking about that, thinking about emails. Nobody is brand new to this. <laughs> no one is brand new. Let me tell you about this man. His name is George Mueller. You may have heard of him. If not, that's okay. He lived in the 19th century, in the 1800s, uh, <clears throat> in Bristol, England. And he's known as one of the, the great fathers of, uh, I'd say, Christianity or prayer, specifically. That was his area, prayer. And he started an orphanage all on prayer. Now, why is that significant? The reason why it's significant is because he did not tell anyone of his plans to start an orphanage. He said to himself, you know what? I'm not gonna tell anyone anything. I don't have any money, I don't have any resources. I'm going to ask my heavenly father for all of the things I need to start this orphanage if he wants me to start it. And so George began to pray. And some time went by, and when the time was right, George began to receive letters. He received a letter, George, we hope you're well. We heard about your orphanage and we wanted to send you this money. And there in the envelope was some money. Who told them? Who knows? It wasn't George. He gets another letter. We want to donate these resources for the orphanage. We want to donate this building. Another letter, another, until he had everything that he needed to begin the orphanage all on prayer because he said, I want the saints of God to know that the God of scripture who answers these prayers is the same God today and will answer mine. And so he did it. And so George Mueller records his life in all of these journals. And in these journals, he had over 50,000 recorded answers to prayer. 30,000 of those were prayers that he prayed and were answered in that day or within the hour of which he prayed them. And in his writings, he shares about struggling to pray for the first 10 years of his faith journey, like you and me. I didn't feel like praying. I couldn't pray. It was too hard. couldn't focus. And he struggled to get into a spirit of prayer. 
He didn't feel like praying. And then the tide turns and something happens to where things changed and he started spending a significant amount of time in prayer. Huh. I'll read you what he says. He says, I scarcely ever suffer now in this way, struggling to pray. For my heart being nourished by the truth, being brought into experiential fellowship with God, I speak to my father and to my friend about the things that he has brought before me in his precious word. We'll talk about Bible study next week. It often now astonishes me that I did not sooner see this point. George Mueller started conversing with God about what he found in God's word. Okay, this was him. This is his experience. Now, what exactly is in God's word? In God's word is where you find God's heart. His will, his desires, what he wants, his purposes for you and me. And so George would look at that, he'd read a scripture or two, and he'd start talking about that, that verse. And as he began conversing with God about the things on God's heart, God's will became his will. There was an exchange. God always cares about what's on our hearts, always. But when we care about what's on his heart, that's when our experience with God stops being a transaction and starts being a genuine relationship. You know what's on God's heart? People. People. Justice and mercy. People. A true exchange. Heart to heart. God is more than a genie. God is more than a genie. Have you exchanged hearts today? It's okay. We, we all have to start somewhere. So I want to challenge you this coming week to take some time and talk with God. You don't have to close your eyes. You can be on the subway. You can say it out loud. You can say it in quiet. You can say it in a closet. You can say it on a mountaintop. Talk with God. Find a, a, your favorite scripture or a passage. Tell God why that means so much to you. Think and reflect on the good things, the blessings that you had in your life that God has given you. Thank him for them. Ask God for forgiveness where you know you fumbled. And then ask him to help you extend that same forgiveness to someone else. It doesn't have to be long. <laughs> it doesn't have to be pretty and flowery. But talk. 
just make sure it's genuine. So my last question is this. Do you want to exchange hearts with God? I hope that you do. I hope that you do. And in the name of Jesus, may this be our experience. Amen.